be again in Luke 5, um, 15 to 16, and uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 8. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 2 Corinthians 18, 3.18 And we all with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. A warm welcome to any of you who may be new joining us for the first time. Uh, we're wrapping up a five-part series here at the start of the year on spiritual formation. And uh, it's a quick housekeeping note. So next week, I will be over at our mother church, Portico, preaching there. And here, you guys will get to hear from one of my spiritual fathers, Jason Connor. And so for those of you who haven't gotten to know him, I'm really looking forward to you guys having a chance to hear from him and, and meet with him. And then uh, I'll be back the following week, and then we'll jump into back into Matthew's gospel for Lent leading into Easter. Okay, so uh, here as we wrap up this series on formation, it's also our focus for the 2024 year. Uh, spiritual formation, in short, is a becoming a person of love in relationship to God and people. Okay, becoming a person of love in relationship to God and people. Uh, someone just the other day was telling me they were talking with someone who was studying formation in seminary, and they were having a hard time explaining what formation is. <laughs> and so, like, it could be really vague for a lot of people. And so it, it it's, it's tough, but just in short, that's essentially what it is. And it's the it's the end for which God brings us into his family, right? To help us receive love from him and others and then give love to others as he's first loved us. And so uh, we looked at, we looked at, um, so what we're doing is we're looking at some practices that help open us up to this kind of transformation in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we spent a couple weeks on Sabbath keeping, and I've loved hearing some of your all's stories about how you've begun to practice Sabbath. And so we're going to keep focusing on that in our group life. And last week, we talked about another key practice, which is prayer. And today, we're looking at the other side of that coin of prayer. Okay, last week, we looked at the speaking part of prayer, and today, we're going to look at the, the silent part of the communication uh, that w- with God that we call prayer. And uh, one way to enter into it may be helpful in this way. So I started reading this book by a guy named Dr. Todd Hall. He's a clinical psychologist, and he's a Christian. And it's a book called The Connected Life. I'd highly recommend it for those of you who are interested in this kind of thing. And in this book, he talks about when it comes to small changes, because uh, like his, his main focus of research is how do people change. And he's a practitioner. He's in the trenches with real people. He's not this ivory tower uh, cl- cl- clinician, but he, he's with real people. And so he studies how do people change. And he says for small changes, you can make small changes through a direct approach or through willpower. But when it comes to big changes, deep changes, you need to take a more indirect approach. And so here's an example. Small changes you can do through willpower. So if I find that um, I'm feeling distant from God, I'm not very consistent, just hearing from him in his word, I can make the decision, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to pray through a psalm before I look at my phone. I can, I can do that. I have that within my willpower to do that. Or, yeah, I haven't really been taking care of the body God's given me. So this week, I'm going to go exercise three days a week. I can do that, okay? But for deeper change, so stop worrying about tomorrow or completely forgive your dad or your mom or stop 
keeping a distance between you and other people where you never allow yourself to fully trust someone else because you're worried about what may happen. Okay, and instead be open and truly vulnerable with other human beings. Okay, deep change. Like the really, really hard stuff and the important stuff needs to come indirectly. And Todd Hall gives examples of what he means. And so he says, uh, for, you, you can't just say like, I'm going to stop worrying about tomorrow, even though I, I really agree with that command of Jesus. I would love to stop worrying about tomorrow. You need to do it, through, you need to do it indirectly. And he says the, the three most powerful forces on helping us change deeply is number one, suffering. And I've, I've talked with some of you in this church who've testified to something of this effect even in the past year. First, suffering. Two, real community. Okay, so not faux community, which, which is everywhere, but real community where you, you reveal it all to, to people who are going to stick, st- stick by your side and you'll stick with them over the long game. Okay, and they're not going to condemn you or judge you. They're going to stick with you. So real community you need for deep change. And number three, he says, is contemplative Christian spiritual practices. And we've, we've already looked at once as Sabbath keeping is actually a form of contemplative uh, spiritual practice okay, in, in, the, in the Christian tradition. And today we're looking at another practice, and it's called contemplative prayer. Uh, other names by which it goes are silent prayer or silence and solitude. And so this is, you know, we'll get to it more, but it's where you're, you're not speaking when you're, when you're with God. And maybe, maybe of all the spiritual practices. This is the one, at least in the Western church, that's viewed with the highest degree of skepticism. And there are reasons for that, which I would love to nerd out on you with, but just not right now. Okay, or it's also just very foreign. For me, it was very foreign up until about two years ago. And so as we go through this, if you're skeptical, if you're weirded out, just want to say that's okay. Okay, so, but what I, what I hope and what the leaders hope is for us to begin to open this door in this really beautiful practice that we see a scriptural basis for that the earliest Christians practice, because uh, it really does wonders for a person and for a community. Okay, so let's jump into this topic of contemplative prayer this way, just very straightforward outline. Uh, first, what is it? Uh, number two, what is it not? Uh, number three, why does it matter? And then uh, number four, how do we actually practice it? Okay, so what it is, what it's not, why does it matter? And then, okay, what does this actually look like to practice? So first, number one, what is contemplative prayer? And we'll begin by looking at this account of Jesus. You see things like this all throughout the Gospels. We alluded to it last week as well. So Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. But now even more the report about him, that's Jesus, went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is a snapshot of a normal day in the life of Jesus. Crowds swarm him. They want to hear him teach. They want to be healed. He engages them, and then he goes to a quiet place. You see where it says desolate places there in verse 16? You can translate desolate as the the lonely place or the quiet place. And so in the life of Jesus, what you see is this consistent rhythm of retreat, return, retreat, return. So he doesn't live the introvert or hobbit's dream of never being around people. Okay, he, he engages with people all the time, and then he retreats. He goes to quiet places where it's either just him, okay, no, no notepad, no phone, no, no earbuds. It's just him, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus isn't making this up. I, he's walking in the tradition of the Hebrew, the Old Testament scriptures, which he held to so, 
so dearly. So a, a couple of examples. So one is Psalm 62, where you see, where you see the psalmist write, For God alone my soul waits in silence. Okay, Psalm 46, Be still and know that I'm God. And so life with God, it looks like engaging with people, even if you're an introvert on Myers-Briggs. And then it involves quiet, okay? Not being around other people. And so this is the first thing we see about what contemplative prayer is. Step one is it involves being quiet. And so here, there, note, it also impli- implied here is are no inputs. Okay, so no books, no music, okay? no, no Bible even. Okay, even that's, okay, that's really important. Okay, but as far as contemplative prayer goes, it's just you, your heart, your thoughts, and God. Okay, those are the only inputs, so complete quiet. And this has always been important for people to do. There's a reason why Jesus does it probably daily, okay, even in his age. And now more so than ever, okay, how much do we need this practice of quiet? Cal Newport in his book, I think he wrote it, yeah, just four years ago or so, called Digital Minimalism. He, he brings up the point that for the first time in, in human history, we have the option to not be in solitude or quiet if we don't want to be. Okay, because you might be alone, but then you're connected to the world. And I mean, our, our tiny little sliver of what, 15-ish years? <laughs> and so we need it more than ever. And, you know, I mean, I don't know, when I'm out, I like to people watch, I guess, because I'm weird. And something I notice when I'm at a coffee house or a restaurant is, you know, say you see two friends or boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. One of them gets up to go, go to the bathroom. You know, what usually do you see with the person left at the table? They take, take out their phone because it's, it's just, or you're standing in line for something. I've never done that, by the way. Um, it's just really hard just to, where we used to just need that time to be in the quiet. I came across a, a recent study that showed that 87% of Americans sleep with their phones in the room. And Another percentage, it was like pretty high, I think it was low 20s, low 20 percentile, admitted to sleeping with their phone in their hand. (laughs) Like, so just, we, we have a, okay, like this, this might be correlated with the pathologies that we're seeing in our cultural moment. Okay, so number one, contemplative prayer, we need quiet. What is part two of contemplative prayer? And here you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This is the Apostle Paul. He writes, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Rich passage to just parachute in, but essentially what Paul's doing is he's contrasting the Old Testament or Old Covenant period with the new, where we are today. And he's, he's talking about how Moses, okay, one of the earliest leaders of God's people, when God led them out of of, of, of Egypt, right, and he, he takes them to Mount Sinai, Moses and Moses alone would put a veil on his face, and he would go, and he would commune with God. And so whereas before in the Old Testament period, you would just have one special person who could commune with God. He says, now with unveiled face, okay, now through Jesus and the coming of the Holy Spirit, all people who are trusting in Jesus can commune with God in the same way that Moses used to be able to. It's not just one special person. It's anyone who's following Jesus. And he says, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into the same image. So as we behold God's beauty, as we behold his love toward us, this actually changes us. That word here, being transformed into the same image, the word for transform there is the word metaphorao. Okay, you think like metamorphosis, like becoming a, a new type of entity. Think 
caterpillar to butterfly or statue to living person. Okay, as we behold God's glory, we're actually transformed into a new kind of person. We become like God. That's what he means by the same image. And this word here for beholding is the same word for contemplate, to gaze at. Okay, so as with our hearts and minds, we just, we gaze at God's beauty and his love coming toward us, we're changed. And so it's this passage among others, right, as we contemplate the glory of the Lord that led the earliest Christians to form this practice of, of contemplative prayer. And so the second part of contemplative prayer, part one is you're quiet. Part two is you are actively beholding God, i.e. you're, you're contemplating him, you're gazing upon his love. And one of the ways to sum it up is, Looking at God, looking at you, and love. Okay, and he's looking at you He's in a non-judgmental way. He's not saying or thinking, why aren't you doing this, or why did you do that? He's just being with you in love. And Marjorie Thompson, uh, an author, she tells the story of this old European farmer who used to go to a church every day, and he would sit in the quiet just for hours in one of the pews. And finally, the priest who, you know, had the, sh- the day shift at the church, he comes up to the farm. He's like, sorry, I can't help but notice, but I notice you're just here in the quiet all the time. What are you doing? And the, the farmer looks at me, he says, I look at him, he looks at me, and we are happy. It, that is, that is contemplative prayer. And you may be thinking, this sounds weird, but until you think about any relationship, okay, so think about those of you who have been on a first date, like at the top of the concern list is usually, how can I keep this conversation going, okay, to avoid that palpable tension of awkwardness? I was never very good at that. <laughs> Maybe some of you meet with me for the first time, you're like, oh, wow, you're horrible <laughs> keeping a conversation going, right? Generally, just the less comfortable and familiar you are with a person, you have a much harder time with silence. But as you become really close with a friend, okay, or a lover, you can, you can just, you can be in a car, you can be on a walk, you can be across a table. You're just enjoying silence. I mean, some of my most beautiful moments with a friend, with one of my children, with Kelsey has been in silence, And so that's the contemplative element of this. We're just sitting with God as if he were a person, which he is, okay, to be known and who loves us. Okay, so that's, that's what it is. Okay, it's, it's quiet, no inputs, and then you're actively thinking about your love for God, his love for you. If you're still thinking, okay, this still, I don't, don't really quite get it. This is still kind of weird. Like you're on the right track. All right, so now let's look at, let's flush it out further by looking at what is it not? Okay, so what is contemplative prayer not? And the first thing it's not is me time for introverts. Okay, so you may be sitting here and you're thinking like, oh yeah, of course, Steve, you're an introvert. Like, this is really good for certain types of people who just like to be alone. But social scientists, they actually, uh, and believers, when, when they talk about this, they differentiate and distinguish between solitude and aloneness. So aloneness is what introverts love. Okay, I'm not around people but I've got music, or I've got a podcast, or I've got a book, or I've got a show, or, you know, whatever. Solitude, or the quiet part of contemplative prayer, is no inputs, right? So no music, no books, none of that. And so if you're here and you're an introvert, you're thinking, oh, great, I can tell my spouse, or I can tell this friend, like, oh, look, there's a pretty, pretty strong biblical case for me to, I need to go off to a coffee shop and put AirPods in and just zen out to Cigarettes or Fleet Foxes and journal. Like, that's great. <laughs> it's just, 
then that could be helpful. It's just not, it's not solitude in the true sense of the word. And when you, this is, this is fascinating, when you distinguish between solitude and aloneness, both extroverts and introverts have about the same amount of like general initial like for this practice. Because especially in the beginning, there's an aversion to it. It's a transforming fire experience because it's just really hard if you guys have ever tried that just to sit there, okay, with yourself in the quiet, just you, your heart, and God because all kinds of stuff comes up. So first, number one, please do not write this off as this is just something that only introverts can do, okay, or should do. Second, what is it not? It's not emptying, okay? So in a number of other religious traditions, okay, you may understand or they may understand meditation, to be uh, some form of, you know, emptying where I'm just detaching from my thoughts, from myself, from the world, whether it's to just achieve inner calm or transcend the self or transcend reality or whatever. Contemplative prayer is not that, okay? You are detaching yourself from future what-ifs, okay? Past regrets, you're just being present to God, but you're, you're emptying yourself of future and, and past concerns for the purpose of filling yourself with the love of God, Okay, so it's not emptying, but you're, you're filling yourself with the love of God. Number three, what is contemplative prayer not? It's not listening. So the goal here is not, I'm going to sit here in the quiet, and I'm going to try to hear God say, choose option B. <laughs> okay, or <laughs> do this job, or not that. Now, can you hear from God in, in stillness? Okay, that's another sermon. Okay, can God speak to you in this kind of, kind of way? But th- that's, that's not contemplative prayer. Okay, we're just, we're we're being with God. Okay, and then number four, what is contemplative prayer? If it's not just for introverts, it's not just emptying or listening. It's also not, um, Caleb, help me out. Is it modern forms of mindfulness? Yes, thank you. Modern forms of mindfulness. So in the broader culture, there's, um, like, this is becoming pretty popular. Uh, so whether it's uh, Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic or Sam Harris's Waking Up podcast, right? Or actually, you know, Tim Ferriss has a famous podcast. He interviews a lot of CEOs, and you'll hear them talk about how, like, just sitting in the quiet and doing meditation in the morning has been key to, to their practice. And so I think we need to ask, how is this different from some of these modern practices that, that we're seeing? And, I mean, to be clear, research seems to show that these practices that people do do have physiological benefits, like your blood pressure and heart rate do seem to, to calm down. But a, a, one key difference across the board between modern mindfulness, you also see it in a lot of yoga and fitness spheres as well. One key difference is all of the modern mindfulness practices, essentially what they're doing is you're trying to obtain stillness without faith, hope, and love. Right? So you're, you're there, you're just you're trying to be present, but it's, it's highly impersonal. It's not personal. You're not putting your faith or your trust in anyone. Okay, you're not hoping in Jesus and his present promises for now and the life to come. Okay, and you're, you're not doing it to become a person of love, which the, which the Christian life is always about. Okay, so hopefully as we, as we see, okay, what is this not? It helps to hopefully clear the air, right? Okay, this sounds a lot like, is this just like Buddhist meditation? No, no, it's not. Okay, so it's not any of those things. So now let's look at why does this matter, sitting in the quiet, just looking at him, looking at me in love, and we're happy. The first reason why it's so important is because you become what you behold, okay? Or you become what your imagination is fixated on. You see Paul here, he says, we behold the glory of the Lord, and as we behold or as we set our affections on God, we're transformed into his image, 
Okay, the God who is just and gentle and loving. And you see other places like this, for example, in, in Psalm 115, where the psalmist writes, those who make them, talking about idols that you worship, those who make things that you worship or set your affections on become like them. So do all who trust in them. So we really do become what we behold. So think about people who spend hours on a daily basis beholding political news. Are they tender-hearted, non-herd-minded, just filled with enemy love kind of people? Sometimes, I think with the proper parameters in place, yeah, but often, right, reactive, up and down, okay, very closed off to other ideas, certainly not enemy love. This is also true of God, by the way. If you envision God to be this angry or uncaring deity just removed from your present pain or circumstances and decisions, you often tend to become an angry or bitter or frustrated kind of person. Okay, some recent research has also come out showing that what we think about, okay, what we contemplate in the hours right before bed and the hours right after waking have a disproportionate impact on the types of people we become. And, you know, this may sound like a fanatic to say, but just we have to ask the question, you know, what does that say for probably many people in the West where their main habit, including Christians before bed, is to watch a show that often has pseudo-pornography, okay, or violence in it, and then go to sleep and wake up, and the first thing we do is just go on an infinite scroll. Okay, that, like, if, if an enemy force, like, came up with this mastermind plan to deform us in one of the most powerful ways possible, it's probably at the top of the list. And so why this practice matters is because as we behold the real God, okay, the God who loves you and who is love, we become like him, okay? Not in all of these other deforming ways that the broader culture and just the rhythms of our hearts will tend to push us. So that's number one. We, we, um, we become what we behold. And number two, why this is so important is over time, it moves you from productivity to presence. It moves you from productivity to presence. And here's what I mean by that. So uh, in the West, especially since the invention of the clock, we tend to view time through the lens of productivity. And one way that you see this is, think about especially on a Monday through Friday, uh, you ask somebody, oh, how was your week? It's like, oh, just it wasn't that great. I didn't get done the things that I hoped to do. Or it was great. I got a lot of things done. Okay, like it's mainly through the lens of productivity, right? How efficient was I, right? Or how effective was I? And the thing is, when we view time through the lens of productivity, time becomes a commodity to be optimized. And when time is a commodity to be optimized, right, we always have to make it the most efficient, the most productive. We're not interruptible. Okay, so that, that coworker who just wants to chit-chat really bugs you. Okay, the guest who stays longer at your house than you would like. Okay, that person who interrupts your plans for the day. We have a really hard time with this. And a problem here is Jesus was highly interruptible. Okay, so many of the stories in the Gospels are Jesus, he has a plan. He's on his way to execute that plan. He's interrupted. And because he allows himself to be interrupted and gets fully present with that person, we have the amazing stories we have in the Gospels. And so in contemplative prayer, when you're just sitting there and you are not producing anything, and you're just allowing God to love you, 
and you love him. What this does is it begins to shift you from someone who cares a little bit less about productivity and who cares more about presence. And that begins to, that attunement then carries you throughout the day. Because for Jesus, uh, efficiency wasn't his highest value. It was love. Efficiency is great. I love the rare days where I feel efficient. It's just not a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, and I think about for, for parents as well. I think this, this may be hitting home. And just for me, one of the areas this has hit me is often we think, oh, you know, how are things going at home? And, oh, it's great. Yeah, my child's learning to obey, right? Or becoming more, you know, disciplined. And discipline matters. Like, we mainly think through the lens of, oh, it was a good day, bad day, based on how my child's, like, complying. But we shift more to connection over compliance and actually being fully present with our children. That makes a really big difference. Okay, and with all of our relationships as well. Okay, so that's, okay, that's another big reason why this matters. Okay, it forms us into people who can actually be present as Jesus was and is. Okay, so last, let's look at, um, hopefully you guys good? You're still with me? Okay. Um, now let's look at, okay, so just getting more on the ground, how do we actually begin to practice this? And so we'll just go through some things, uh, things that I've found are helpful for me and just generally what, what Christians have done over the centuries. Is first, number one, choose a time and place. Okay, if you're just like going to accidentally make this happen, it's not going to happen. So choose a time and place. As a rule, morning is going to be best, not because there's anything magical about it. It's just because it's before the noise of the day floods in. And I'm not a morning person. And I'm telling you, I've just found generally morning is going to be best. And I, I highly, this isn't, <clears throat> the Bible doesn't say this, but I think this is wisdom. I can't encourage enough to turn your phone off at night before you go to sleep. And then not turn it on in the morning until you, you practice this in some way. Okay, and you may be saying, well, I, Steve, I use it as an alarm clock. Okay, that's not a valid excuse. And one reason why it's not is because Jeff Bezos will gladly overnight ship you an alarm clock for $9. I checked this yesterday. <laughs> okay, so you don't need to use your phone. Okay, so I just, again, this isn't a biblical imperative. It's just I think it's wisdom. Or at minimum, don't turn your, like, don't look at your phone until you, so time and place, phone off, and then... You can stand. Some, some people like to do this while taking a walk. For me, I, like to, I have a chair in my basement where I like to go to, and I just I sit there, and I just hold my hands up like this. For me, it indicates a posture of receptivity. I'm not trying to demand from God. I'm just receiving. And some traditional ways of starting are just something like, come Holy Spirit, or Lord have mercy. That, that comes after one of the accounts in the Gospels okay, of a man pleading for Jesus to heal him. What I what I personally say, you don't have to, maybe this is weird for you. For me, how I begin is I just say, it is good for me to be here with you and you with me. It is good for me to be here with you and you with me. And for me, that helps me be a little bit more relational with God and reminds me that somehow and possibly God finds it good for him to be here with me. And then you just breathe and relax into that. And then your thoughts will attack you like a herd of wild animals. <laughs> okay, one author described it like monkeys in a banana tree. Uh, another author described it as like you're shaking a snow globe. Okay, you start to go into the quiet and then suddenly just your thoughts are, you know, to-dos, ideas, you know, you, you name it. Maybe a lot of anxiety because okay, you're actually in, in the stillness. And like that, that's normal. That's okay, and how I envision it is just a, a thought comes. I imagine just like a, a leaf on a river. Okay, there it is, and I just let it go. And if your thoughts interrupt you 30 times, that's 30 opportunities to come back to God. Okay, so don't feel bad about this. Don't feel guilty about this. And then you just keep returning to God. 
And for me, I do about 10 minutes. Uh, sometimes I do about 20. Uh, other times it's five. For a lot of people, two minutes is really hard just for expectations. And so I would encourage you to maybe just start with two to three minutes okay, and just think about God, okay, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, just loving you and delighting in you. That's it. And a few notes on this. Uh, one for maybe moms or parents of young kids who are thinking like this is a ridiculous idea. And so let me just, I realize I, I'm a, a father, right? So we do have stay-at-home dads as well, right? But often it's moms. So whether you're dad, mom, you're home with the kids. Just here, here's what Kelsey says, how, how she's done it. Is often right now she's, uh, she's still uh, breastfeeding then. And so often she'll do contemplative prayer in the middle of the night. Okay, so she's feeding then, and instead of just going on her phone, at least initially, she'll just take a few moments to just think about God loving her and her loving God. And then she'll, she'll try to wake up just a little bit before the kids wake up to then do, then do scripture reading. Um, maybe you wake up and your, your kids are already up. Okay, that happens. Or just uh, you know they're going to wake up any minute. And it can be as simple as, you sit up, and instead of reaching for your phone, you just, it can, it can be, you just recite Psalm 23. Okay, or it can be an ongoing um, component throughout the day, is you're changing a diaper again. You're present with your toddler again. You're cooking food or washing dishes again, and in that moment, just, you can just say to God something like, it is so good to be with you, and I love that you're here with me right now in this moment. You're just going, uh, becoming attentive to the fact that God's with you, and he loves you. Uh, a couple other notes here. One is, Resist the urge to judge it. Okay, if you've never done this before, you're probably going to find it um, just trying to think of a word that's not, yeah, just <laughs> not inappropriate. You're just probably gonna not, not, you're not, probably not going to find a very helpful practice. You're just going to be like, this is ridiculous. This isn't doing anything for me. Uh, you may feel like more out of whack the first few times you do it. And so as you do it, keep the long game in mind. For me, this, it, it took months. It took months until it finally started to, you think about just like anything. Okay, it, it's, it needs to be daily or regularly and months until it finally begins to click. And usually what I've found is the benefit of contemplative prayer. There, there have been some incredible moments I've had over the past couple months being loved by God and loving him in the moment. But what I found, it's more the benefit is afterward where later in the day, like something happens that's unexpected, okay, or some, somebody says something to me or I'm thinking something. I can just go back to the morning and just think, oh yeah. That's the truest thing about me. That's who I am. That's who God is. I recently read this story of, uh, this was a local family out in Loudoun County, I believe, who they have an autistic child. He's 14 years old. And when this boy was four years old, he lost the ability to speak. And like a lot of people with autism, uh, most people tend to believe just he wasn't there. There wasn't anything going on. Or at best, he was intellectually challenged. But his parents refused to believe this. And so for 10 years, they stuck with their son, tried everything through therapy, through things at home, making stuff up, trying other techniques, trying to help this boy communicate. And just recently, at age 14, he had a breakthrough. And he, he can now, through, uh, through a particular device, he can, he can communicate. And people found, wow, he's, he's very much there. He's highly intelligent, in fact. And he wrote an essay, he submitted an essay to the New York Times that, that, that uh, won the runner-up. And here's, here's what he writes. 
Before this year, I was locked inside. I couldn't share my sense of humor. I couldn't tell anyone I suffered in silence. Do you know what it feels like to not be able to talk? It felt so lonely. It was frustrating to not be able to tell anyone I was actually in there. I thought I would end up in an institution. A dumb boy who needs to be locked up, like Gollum retreating into his cave. I like this guy. He likes Lord of the Rings. To be seen is to be known, and I am unknown, like a boy who is invisible. This child, for 10 years, was invisible to everybody except his parents. They saw what no one else could see. What others saw is just an empty shell of a thing. They saw a deep person. What other people saw is just flailing limbs. They saw attempts to communicate. And so they stuck with this child in love. And this sight saved their son, saved him from being discarded, saved saved him from being invisible, And as I think about this, just, you know, for you, do you feel invisible in some way? Do you feel unwanted in some way? Or just some part of you where you're like, no one has ever or will ever be able to fully understand this part of me? Or a part of you, you hope stays invisible. Because if anyone actually really sees it, they'll back away. And the story of this book, the Bible, as difficult and as weird as it can be to read at times, is that there is somebody who sees. His name is Jesus. He sees all of you. He wants all of you. Even the stuff that you don't want anyone to see, says, yes, I've come to heal that as well. And it's this sight that compelled him to become a human being. It's the sight that compelled him to go to a cross. And it's the sight that helped him remain on that cross as he beheld you in love. And his invitation today, as he continues to see you and behold you, is to come to him. Okay, and so the invitation of contemplative prayers is to sit and wonder with this Lord, this God, Jesus, who sees you, and he won't stop having his sight on you until you're made whole. Let's pray.